Once again, our topic is medical-related. I want to remind all listeners that no one speaking here is a medical professional. In relation to this topic, we want to give listeners knowledge and options they may not be aware of otherwise. These may not be the right options for you. Please talk to a medical professional before making a decision so you can choose what is best for you and your child. Welcome to Millennial Pagan Podcast. I'm your host, Autumn Wolf, with... And I'm Jarrah Stone. And back for the third time, the first person who's ever done that on this show. Manifested in this mofo. That's right. We got Nama back. Yo, what's up, people? And uh, I I see you're carrying a little extra luggage. I am. I got this purse. Oh, I'm sorry. You meant the baby. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Just a little extra. Only 22 pounds extra. That's not bad. That's the least amount of weight I've gained in a pregnancy yet. Congratulations. Thank you. I don't know how the fuck I did it. Well, no, I do. But, you know, I don't want to, like, nauseate the audience with all of the... The bodily details. details no goodness well you know some of that might have to come up because we are going to be talking about giving birth and the alternatives to just shutting up lifting your legs up and letting the doctor do what they want in the hospital yeah i'm not a fan of that right no. i figured Mm-mm. no so um and our last host was a midwife who's also not a fan of that oh what was her name uh hope uh hope rich jennifer hope rich okay then I will have to listen to that episode because I love midwives. Midwives are the best. Well, she talked about uh, astrology, so something completely different. <laughs> I love how the Venn diagram of this show, just, <laughs> it doesn't even look like a Venn diagram. It looks like like plates stacked on top of each other. Pretty much. Yeah. I feel like most of the time I'm going into the superstore of my friends and my friend's friends and picking out the patterns I like. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how it happens. <laughs> So I did ask you to do this topic before meeting her, and I was like, oh, this is kind of funny. (laughs) I don't think you should even be surprised at this point. No, I'm not anymore. I say to the universe, I want an episode about this, and if my listeners want it, it happens. Mm -hmm. So you guys wanted it, by the way. Yeah. That's how we're having this episode. They want it so bad. (laughs) There's millennials out there who are thinking about or are pregnant and don't Mm -hmm. know how they're going to do it without, like, just doing it the way that they're told i'm not a fan of doing that ever i know not for anything <laughs> i know so this is a fabulous time frame in which we can tell people here are your options pick what's right for you as you heard from our um statement earlier again we are not medical professionals uh one of us has gone through it and the rest of us are going ooh, yeah scary yeah no have, i'm going ooh, scary <laughs> you've done it twice before yeah i know that doesn't matter i'm still going ooh, scary <laughs> so um since we already know about your coming of witch story would Mm. you like to tell us about your previous birth experiences yeah totally that's why i'm here um first of all thank you all for having me back because we love having you i (laughs) cannot tell you the special like joy and pleasure it is to sit in a room that's red and black (laughs) and hear my own voice in my ears it's tripping me out it's so much fun being here i love it yay so Let's see. Past birth experiences. So I've had a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. So I'm 38 now. I had my first kid at 24. Um, and my second, seven years later, six years later, something, whatever. I slept since then. So they're <laughs> far apart in age because the second one was a Rosh Hashanah surprise. Um, that's what happens when you mix a lot of Manischewitz and a lot of Guinness and you wake up the next morning and forget what happened. So... <laughs> They're about six years apart, but with the first kid, um, so yeah, 2006, he was a very traditional, I'm using air quotes, uh, hospital birth and everything that's involved in a hospital birth. And I can get into that later. Um, and very much what a woman would hear as a horror story from other women about how awful it is to give birth. Like that was my first experience. And to sum it up in a sentence, it was 25 hours of birth. Oh Oh, goodness. It's a very long process. First time births, very common, Mm -hmm. Um, but not a fun process, you know, not, 
No, not fun. Um, second one was uh, six years later, and I was down here in Phoenix. So the first one was in Flagstaff at the Flagstaff Medical Center, and the second one was in Phoenix at Baby Moon Inn Birth Center. Shout out to Baby Moon Inn. I heart you so much. If you are pregnant, go there. They will work with you. They will work with your insurance. They are incredible human beings, and they changed my entire life by giving birth there. And so with them, I went through their process of learning both my innate cellular knowledge that's in my body for how to how to do this, how to make a human show up, um, which is not as easy as you would think. Mm-hmm. Um, and they taught me how to respect my body and listen to her, which is also not something that anyone ever teaches us how to do in America. Um, and so the birth that I had there from the beginning of labor until delivery was four and a half hours. Bing. Wow. So that's a huge, mm-hmm. huge difference from 25 to four and a half hours. And the number one thing I attribute it to was uh, lack of stress. Yeah, that's that. Uh, one of my friends actually just uh, just had their second child not too long ago, and they said one of the one of the worst things is is the stress because it can elongate the the pregnancy procedure, the the birthing procedure exponentially. Oh, she yeah. her first kid, she was actually in labor. I think closer to like thirty six hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's a big deal. Um, the thing about birth that a lot of people don't know when someone says I'm in labor, like whoopie do that could mean like 10 things Mm -hmm. so for someone like myself in the first time if you're in labor for 25 hours you're not actively like in the movies sitting on a table pushing the baby out for 25 hours Mm -hmm. you're meandering up and down your your hallway in your house or you're in the shower or you're on the couch crocheting or you're at the hospital walking up and down the corridors and you're keeping busy and distracting yourself and trying to just get through that time Mm -hmm. um and i can (laughs) again i can go into much much more graphic details (laughs) later for those people who want it but yes it's it's a process it's a it's a process of becoming a gateway right is what it is Mm -hmm. totally agree Mm -hmm. so this is a thing that's becoming bigger in our country because it's kind of automatic. You being a Jewish woman, was it easier for you to tell the doctors in the hospital, no, we're doing that at home when having a boy? Or was there still an automatic, okay, swoop him away, let's go chim chim? I, I love how you infer that me being a Jewish woman means that I have a bigger mouth and I can be more assertive. No, that I they have that. more respect for your religious beliefs and as opposed to me going, no, we're not snipping him in general. Oh, God. You know, in my case, it was kind of unique. So firstly, again, being 24, you would think like, the, I mean, there's no one here at this point who's 24. It's been a while. But yeah. when we were all 24, we thought we knew what we were doing. We, were, we <laughs> thought we were brilliant and we were like masters of the universe. Like we thought we knew everything. No, we were young and stupid. So mm-hmm. being 24, all I had done was just watch TLC's A Baby Story, like 47 episodes through. And I never actually took a birth class and I never actually prepared myself, read any books, educated myself on the physiology and the biology of what birth does to a body. or what it does to you um, psychologically and what the mental processes are. So I knew nothing. I was a fucking idiot. And I'm at the hospital and I'm I'm going through this experience and I finally, 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 finally give birth. And I knew I had to have skin-to-skin contact, but I had set myself up to fail by not educating myself. Um, And I experienced something called the cascade, um, which is effectively the, the phrase that the medical industry uses Um, And the midwifery industry uses oftentimes to describe a cascade of interventions that a woman is put through. I should say a person is put through when they are laboring. And there's a doorway experience, usually getting an IV. And after that, because you have the IV, well, it's so much easier if we put you in the bed and we monitor you. And it's so much easier now that we're having you in the bed monitoring you. Let's put some, some fluids in you. And oh, well, since you've got some fluids, why don't we offer you some drugs to you know, taper off the pain. And since now you're on drugs, we have to actually keep you in the bed because we have to check all of these levels. And since you're already in the bed and now you can't move, which makes you horrible.
horribly uncomfortable and you're stuck there. Um, imagine having a Charlie horse at Disneyland while you're waiting in line. Mm-hmm. It's like that. You really want to keep walking and you don't want to like just sit there in agony. But no, you're in the bed and you're being strapped down. You're being monitored. You're being pumped full of IV fluid. They go, oh, well, you might as well have an epidural. It'll make you feel better. And it just cascades and cascades and mm-hmm. cascades. Uh, and so because of that, plus 25 hours of this very long physical marathon experience, I was done. I was done. I had no energy left. Mm-hmm. So I should have, and I don't like using the word should, especially for myself, but I should have at least encouraged my husband at the time to be my voice, mm-hmm. to be my big, bad, loud no. Mm-hmm. Um, and to say, no, you're not taking the kid. No, you're not cutting the cord. You're going to leave her there. You're going to leave the kid with her. You're going to give her an hour. Don't touch him. Let them bond, blah, blah, blah. But we were both ignorant and we were exhausted. And so, because he had had an eight-hour shift at work right before I went into labor. So he hadn't had any sleep either. Mm -hmm. And it was just awful. So when they said, oh, you know, we just want to weigh him and measure him and this and that, I just went, okay. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. my face right now is just very tired. I'm like this. Oh. So, yes. <laughs> you know, they take him and they're like, oh, well, he's not breathing so great. Well, no shit, he's not breathing so great. You clipped his cord too early. You took him away from me. I can't regulate his heart rate and I can't regulate his breathing. Or so his then, temperature. Or his temperature or any of the other multitude of things that skin to skin does. So that's the excuse for why they need to take him and put him in the NICU. So they have him in the NICU for the first 12 hours of his life instead of with me. Mm-hmm. So all of these cascade effects end up impacting my ability to bond with the kid. And it screwed up my bonding with him for the first six months. And I attribute all of that back to not having been able to educate myself. Mm -hmm. Well, I could have. I chose not to. The classes were there. They were even there through Coconino County and through uh, DDD and, um, you know, the the WIC office. And all of these places had these classes. I was just arrogant and stupid and 24 and i thought i knew everything but that's why you're here right now to Mm. stop the arrogant 24 year olds who are listening (laughs) may the odds be ever in my favor (laughs) (laughs) but that is the exact reason why i asked you on was Mm. to hopefully give our listeners the opportunity to hear somebody who has the knowledge or at least has experiences with the knowledge is Mm. about to go through it again it's very prominent in your head and so they have the because in paganism i I think in general, we're a little bit more wanting of something a little non-mainstream, maybe something a little more natural. Mm -hmm. We respect the woman's body for what it does a little bit more. One would hope. I would. I would assume so. If you're pagan, yeah. right? Yeah. So maybe that with all that comes when you go, ooh, at Prager's going. Okay, how do I do this? And and the truth of the matter is, and th- and this ties into paganism very deeply, and a lot of people don't talk about it. Exactly. Paganism, it, you know, almost all of the paganism that we practice, unless you're Rosicrucian. Uh, is ultimately neo-paganism because it Mm -hmm. had to be resurrected because we didn't have our holy books. We didn't have our holy groves. We didn't have our places to store our knowledge. We, we lost our masters. We lost our mistresses who could deliver that, you know, orally. And so a lot of our paganism is neo-paganism. So we are having to re-educate ourselves Mm -hmm. and that innate intuitive knowing that's a gut knowing is gone. And so as pagans, we seek it out, we connect to our deity, we connect to our ancestors, we connect to the land, and we do what feels right within our gut. And the same is true for birth knowledge. We don't live in cultures and communities anymore where there's pregnant women wandering around all over the place, because most people aren't that aren't pregnant that often. Right. And so we don't have grandmothers guiding new mothers before, during, and after labor, before, during, and after birth. We don't have that oral knowledge that's generational anymore. It's gone. The only groups of people that really still retain some of that is First Nations people. Mm-hmm. And and they themselves are just under attack from every direction as well from for losing their culture and for being preyed upon and, and so many other factors that are influencing their ability to store their ancestral knowledge. So a lot of it's gone and now there's pagans listening going well maybe one day if the economy ever gets better i will have a child 
yeah, they're they're stuck reading books or going to hospital staff to hopefully give them answers. Right. And it's, it can be really terrifying. Or reading scary blogs of situations very mm-hmm. similar to what you just described, yeah. hoping to figure out where can they go to get information on alternatives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying don't search the internet because it's the number one resource we have, but don't read the comments. <laughs> yeah. <That's true>. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about my horror story. No. Number one rule of the internet. Don't, don't read, read the, the comments. comments. Yes. <laughs> Even Sound Guy T says, no, don't. Yeah, he's like shaking his head like, oh my God, don't do it. Every mm-hmm. now and then I get a message from him that says, I read the comments. And I'm like, ooh, don't, don't do, do it. it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I've noticed, um, and you guys may have noticed it too, I don't know, depending on how many women speak to you, but there's a, a very big pattern of women who start off the conversation with oh my god let me tell you how awful my birth was <laughs> yeah oh my god it was so horrible do you want to hear every gory detail like <laughs> oh no yeah okay i'll tell you um and <laughs> the same thing happened to me um, three thursdays ago right before i went out on leave <gasps> oh god uh, <laughs> one of these wonderful incredible people that i work with um she'd had her baby nine months earlier and I told her I was going out on leave and I could no longer do all of the paper shuffling for our, our LGBTQ uh, employee group at work, which I was running. Um, and she was like, oh, I'm so happy for you that you're going out on leave early. And I just, oh, God, I'm just going to pray for you. I just had such a horrible experience. Let me tell you what happened. <laughs> and I was like, uh, sure. Like, I know this is going to go really bad, but you're a work friend and you're also like five rungs up the ladder above me and I'm trying to be respectful and 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 I really don't want to hear this, but I don't want to be rude to you, so go ahead and tell. She's telling me about how she like got in the shower and there's like a gush of blood and I'm picturing like the shining or something. <laughs> She's like, and then I needed to go into the hospital and an emergency this and, emer- and I'm like, Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. Bye. You know, it's like the reason we do that, the reason that we we want to tell these awful fucking stories is because nobody's listened to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have to voluntarily shove this in the face of the next person almost because there's this this sensation of like, I need to be witnessed. I need you to hear me. I need you to see me. Uh, I need you to acknowledge that I just went through this horrible thing and nobody ever acknowledged that for me. So I'm going to tell you everything, whether you want to hear it or not, versus like, I suffered, so therefore you have to suffer. Because now I have this beautiful baby and my whole family doesn't want to hear about how hard it was. And they're like, just be happy. He's beautiful and healthy. Right. And Mm -hmm. that's that's part of that whole like swallow your pain culture and and Mm -hmm. don't express. And it's so toxic. Yes. Agreed. So... At the very basic, what would you tell somebody who still either has to or wants to go to the hospital but doesn't want to do all of that nasty or just wants to speak for themselves? What would you say is the best piece of advice that they need to walk in with? So there's a few things. So first and foremost, I would say uh, take some time without your cell phone, without social media, without the internet or a laptop or a tablet or any other device and sit in a room with yourself and have a conversation with yourself um, in, in terms of who am I? What are my needs? What are my medical, maybe you have medical needs that are specific that you have to be seen by an OBG um, and do a self-assessment. And I think that's, that's good advice for anybody in any situation ever for whatever it is, do a self-assessment and figure out what do I need? Once you've identified, you know, I'm a healthy pregnant person, I'm not under any risk factors, I don't have any of these medical conditions, you know, preeclampsia, the diabetes that you get when you're pregnant, um, severe edema, any of these other medical things that can pop up during pregnancy, if you know that you're not at risk for any of those things, and a medical provider has, has assessed you for that, take 10, 15, 20 minutes, sit down and go, what do I want? If you don't know what you want, you cannot move forward. Mm-hmm. We've already talked about this for other episodes anyway. You have to know what you want. Um, and if you don't know what a birth can look like, you have to do that research. So, you know, then go get your phone or go get your laptop or iPad or whatever and start looking up 
things like um, natural childbirth. You can do YouTube videos. There's so many available out there that you can go to the public library. There's um, movies that you can rent there about natural childbirth that are free. Public library, amazing, free stuff. It's good stuff. And take the time to sit down and really educate yourself on what's available and what do you want. If you find that you are afraid, first of all, being afraid is 110% healthy and normal. I'm afraid. I'm having my third kid and I still feel scared and I still get anxiety attacks. Mm-hmm. Totally 100% healthy because pain is scary. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pain is scary. And it, it gives you your lizard brain like the green light to go ape shit, And you're like no longer in, in control of your faculties. So pain is scary. The unknown is scary. Birth always has a possibility, even if it's a 1% chance, you have a possibility that something could go in a negative direction. So it can be scary because it's an unknown. So obviously, you want to educate yourself on what is birth? What happens to a body when it's birthing? What happens to the baby? What happens to the birthing person? What happens to the birth partner? And once you've educated yourself on the basic dynamics, um, it's like buying a new cell phone. You need to know what all the buttons do. Mm-hmm. You need to know how to open it and close it and do all these different things. And after you've figured out what that means, then decide if you want to pursue a hospital birth, your job is to be the boss of your birth. Um, and that's not to say that you are going to walk into a hospital and tell, you know, an OBG that they don't know what they're talking about. Because they probably do. But um, you're going to walk in and say, I'm not telling you how to do your job. I'm telling you I know what my job is as a birthing person. And I know what I want you to give me. And the primary job of a caregiver or a provider when you're birthing is to put you at such ease and give you such comfort and peace that this baby will just spontaneously show up. Mm-hmm. That's the theory. Mm-hmm. So that's my advice is sit down, do a self-assessment, figure out what your needs are, educate yourself on the process of birth in general. And then once you have a general idea of what birth involves, decide who you want to be the person to help you do that. You're not going to figure that out in one day. You're not going to figure that out in one visit. Um, and there's a lot of information that you have to have to get, but also take a birth class. Um, again, baby moon in, baby moon in. Um, they have birth classes. You do not have to be birthing there to take their classes. It's a Lamaze five-week class. Uh, it meets like once a week and you can go and they tell you every single little tiny detail you would ever need to know about how birth works. It's amazing. For example, fun fact, did you know that when I give birth, my tailbone is going to come undone to let the kid out? No. It's the coolest shit. I knew something in there dislodges, Mm -hmm. but... Several things. uh, Yeah, I actually do that. Did you? Yeah. Of course you did. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, high high school, one of my favorite things was actually the the five-week course that we had in our health class Mm -hmm. about pregnancy and birth. You had one of those? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I was from a state where (laughs) my education was, don't have sex, the devil will get you. Yeah. Hi, I'm Southern. (laughs) Oh, that's right. Hi, I'm from the deep south. Yeah, but it it, it just kind of, it was fascinating because they actually had a uh, a skeleton Mm -hmm. and actually show, they actually showed us, this is the baby, this is what it's doing to the skeleton Mm -hmm. as it's coming out. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was Number one, horrifying. I know. But number two, <laughs> interesting that the body can do that itself. It's friggin' fascinating. For example, um, if you can see, I don't know if you can see like under the table per se, but like my hips are the size of Wyoming at this point. And they get wide when a person is pregnant for the purposes of birthing a human. But what's amazing about that is your pelvis is kind of like an oval shape. Mm-hmm. And when you're birthing, so you have this chemical that runs through your system. It's called relaxin. Guess what it does? So um, all the ligaments and muscles and all the stuff that keeps your bones in the place that they're supposed to be, it kind of melts. So your bones are very like loosey goosey. 
And so your pelvis is like this, like, um, if this is me standing, so this is my pelvis, it's shaped like an oval. When my husband uh, takes one of my many, many, many headscarves and wraps it around my hips when I'm in labor and I have a contraction, he's going to push them together. And that causes them to become an O instead of an oval, which allows the kid's head to get through easier mm-hmm. and reduces pain for me. Mm-hmm. But like, that's the coolest thing ever. Like, if I wasn't pregnant, you couldn't do that. You couldn't just like make Autumn stand up and wrap a, a, a scarf around her hips and go, oh, look, it'll it'll make your hips change. Like, it doesn't work that way unless you're pregnant. You need nine months of relaxing in your system mm-hmm. to make your hips do that. It's the craziest shit. Your bones become jelly. A little bit. And yeah. the, the ligaments that connect them, they all become jelly. And um, that tailbone, I believe it's two two centimeters that it pops outward so that the baby's head can move past it. And Guillermo looks like he's going to hurl. No. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Um, But like, it's the most amazing stuff. And depending on whether you're standing or sitting or walking or squatting or bouncing on the bouncy ball, those all influence where your bones go. And it's just the coolest, most amazing thing. And if, if you don't, I should say, because I chose not to educate myself the first time around, I robbed myself of that wisdom. And mm-hmm. I think as pagans, we all understand that the greatest thing we can give ourselves besides our connection to our deity and higher spirit is wisdom. Mm-hmm. And that's something all pagan threads tend to gravitate towards is not just knowledge, but wisdom. And the wisdom is this is what it is. And this is how it works. And this is how I can use these two things to make my experience good. That wisdom, you you can't you can't Google it. You can't download it. You have to learn the info and then decide how you're going to apply that to yourself. It's really important. So that's number one. So I'm going to take a short break now so that the the pregnant mama can go to the bathroom. Thank you, goddess. And I can go to the bathroom. <laughs> Good plan. Yes. So thank you. <laughs> Jira, have you ever wondered if our Patreon supporters are truly getting great benefits for their money? Of course you do, because I've asked it at the end of every episode. Uh, that's true. Well, if you, dear listener, are wondering if you should support Millennial Pagan Podcast through Patreon, I think we should tell you why. Well, at the $1 mark, of course, you get a personalized thank you right here on the show. Right at the very end of the show, actually. Mm-hmm. And at the $5 mark, not only do you get those thank yous at the end of the show, but you also have access to a 30-minute Minisode every month. And one of our exclusive buttons and stickers. Sent directly to your home or address that you provide to me. Yeah. Yeah. And why are those minisodes so awesome? Well, I think because we answer a lot of uh, interesting questions that we may not have time for during one of these shows. Yeah, and it's just us yammering on being silly. And, of course, you know, we have a lot of more bloopers that we get to show you at the end. Also, in the near future, Patreon supporters, we will have more exclusive content, and you'll also be the first to know of any changes that happen to Millennial Pagan Podcast. So if you aren't a Patreon supporter yet, why don't you go ahead and think about it and join up so you can get all these great benefits. See you next time. Witchcrafted AZ is back with their O-Star Market. The O-Star Market will be on Sunday, March 15th from 2 to 6 at the Growhouse Urban Agricultural Center. Come out and see Millennial Pagan Podcast, Phoenix Pagan Pride, and Crafty Witches Making Witchy Crafts. All right, and we are back. And uh, I know one of the uh, one of the big things, you know, we, we kind of already talked about the, the horror stories that happen in hospitals. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Um, but I want Christian Bale to be at my wedding. <laughs> I mean, my birth now. <laughs> what? No, continue. <laughs> Just continue. I make stabbing oh. noises. She says I want Christian Bale at my birth. <laughs> the hell? Wow. Okay. Then going on. Um. So. Just for, for, for people who may not know, what are some of the other alternatives that are out there? Totally. Yeah. So, um, first things first. A person who is pregnant. Whether you have insurance, you don't have insurance, whether you have private insurance, whether you're on uh, access, if you're in Arizona listening to this, uh, Arizona State Healthcare, whether you are on Obamacare, what doesn't matter. You have the right to dictate your birth experience. You also have the right to dictate your healthcare experience from beginning to end. 
um, that means that you can walk into a healthcare provider's office and say, I don't feel comfortable with that. Or I really love that idea. Let's talk more about that. Um, so it, it's irrelevant about whether or not you have insurance. We have this sort of psychosis in America of like, we can only use our voices and use our yeses and nos um, as far as our insurance will let us. And that's a really awful mindset to have. And we've been brainwashed to believe it. It's not true. So first things first, your body, your birth, your way. That's that's it. End of story. That's how the goddess designed it. That's the way it should be. Um, again, I don't like using the word should, except in that sentence. So alternatives. Also, I'm not trying to pant. I have literally no real estate left. So my lungs are like collapsing under the weight of this small human in my belly. In my belly. Um, so I'm panting a lot because I just have no room left. But basic idea here is birth at a hospital, although it is very common in America, please know that we are the exception to the rule in terms of first world nation availability of birth experience. So I'm going to say that again. In many, many other first world nations, like England, Ireland, Wales, Scotland, um, Netherlands, France, Spain, Portugal, Italy, Switzerland, Austria, Denmark, Germany, Scandinavia, all of Scandinavia, Sweden, Norway, Finland, um, Lithuania, Romania, Hungary. I, I could go on. These nations have birth practices and birth and care practices of women that are centered around her experience, around the baby's well-being and around making it as low stress and effortless as possible, which is the opposite of what we do mm -hmm. in America. Uh, in America, women are, and again, I'm not trying to center this around women because gender is not really a thing, but generally speaking, we say women when we're talking about birthing people. Um, overall, the idea that a birthing person who is pregnant is suffering, air quotes, from a medical condition is such an American concept. Like... Pregnancy is not a medical condition. It's a human condition. Just like being an adolescent is a human condition. Being an elder is, an, is a human condition. Being a toddler is a human condition. And so it's, it's insidious. It gets into our heads. It gets into our, our sense of self-worth as women that we are suffering from a medical condition and we need to be managed by medical providers. It's completely wrong. Totally effing wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. You're a human being. You are experiencing a pregnancy, period. I wanted to vomit when you said manage. I was like, don't manage. I know, right? No. Like, nobody wants to be managed anyway, no. even by your manager at work. But, like, my so manager at work doesn't even want to manage. Right? He gets so. mad at micromanaging, <laughs> like, violently mad. Our yeah. whole, sorry for my tangent, but my whole company is changing how they're handling our managers. And now he feels very micromanaged. So he's walking around, like, He's doing T-Rex arms in case y'all can't see. Yeah. Um, no, you can't see. He he is T-Rex arming. And like, if we walk by with our phones, we start putting him down. He's like, pick that back up. I'm not judging. <laughs> he's like, okay. <laughs> Going back to my game now. Note to self, don't work at her place. <laughs> so we don't need to be managed. And that's one of the beautiful things about birth alternatives is that midwives aren't there to manage you. Because midwives understand that their job is to literally guide you through the experience that you are the boss of. And so um, as, as having gone through this a couple of times now, this is my third time. My first was a uh, hospital birth, traditional, all the cascade interventions. I had everything interventions, everything intervening in, in, my, in my labor, except for a C-section. Um, I had everything but that. That was a really awful experience for me. And I have spoken to many, 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 many women who've gone through the same thing that I went through and worse. Um, and then the second time around, having gone to Baby Moon Inn and having participated in my own labor and delivery as an active participant, present, verbal and communicating and saying, I like this. I don't like this. I want this. I don't want this way beforehand, months in advance, and then during the labor, and then after. It's night and day. And 
from for those um you know men male identified folks out there it would be the equivalent of going to a doctor and having the doctor walk in the room put your chart down get, grab your junk tell you to cough and leave Guillermo's face is like what who would do that like okay but as a woman you walk into an OBGYN's office, they walk in, they say hello, they introduce themselves, they drop the chart on the table, they start poking around under your gown, invading your body, and then mm-hmm. tell you a couple of things and then walk out the door. And there's somebody in the room with you who's never introduced, right. and they're like, yeah, I'm going to do this now. And and there's no consent, hmm. and there's no explanation, and there's no uh, nothing. And so, you know, that's that's a medical exam, but that's labor and delivery on a very, very small example. It's that invasive in quote unquote traditional birth experience. So going to an alternative like a midwife, like a birth, a freestanding birth center, or choosing to birth at home uh, with all the protocols that are involved in that, that's you taking your power back and saying, my body, my birth, my way, period. So it's an incredibly important thing that women be reminded over and over and over and over. No, they don't have the right to do this to you. No, they can't simply walk in the room and say, I'm going to do this thing. No, they can't just perform this procedure. They have to ask you. You have to say, yes, I give you permission. And I think I've gone into this with with both of y'all before. There's this idea of the hell yes and the hell no. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I look at Jara and I say, hey, dude, can you give me your debit card so I can go empty out your bank account, please? His response is probably going to be, hell no. All right. So (laughs) if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. And there is no maybe, especially when it comes to bodily autonomy, especially when it comes to the concept of um, body sovereignty and loving your body and knowing that this, this is my temple and this is where my deity dwells and you cannot invade that without my consent without being honoring and respectful of my body if if you're not coming at me with that energy then it's a hell no and that in of itself is very scary for not just women but for a lot of people when you're confronted by a doctor there's that like default like psychological mechanism where we want to default to their authority because they have the white coat on you know and the md after their name and it's not right because I'm, and I'm not saying don't listen to doctors. What I'm saying is you need to know that you have the right to say no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Or I need time to think about this. Please give me five minutes with my partner. Get out. Mm-hmm. Those are those are things that you have the right to do, whether you're going to the ER for a cold or whether you're in labor. You have the right to say hell yes and hell no. Uh, and that is something that we go through at Baby Moon. Um during the Lamaze classes, they talk about how to out to how to weigh out your benefits and your risks uh, when an, an intervention is being offered to you. Uh, for example, getting into birth in general. So for those millennials that are terrified of searching the internet for what is birth about, because I don't blame you for being scared, because yeah. it's very graphic <laughs> and very um, colorful. Um the idea of birth is that a woman's body is releasing um, sort of a, like a domino effect of amazingly powerful chemicals. Um, we are just like giant sacks of chemicals, like in, in our bodies, <laughs> you know, we've got our blood, we've got our hormones and we've got our, our this and that and our electrical impulses and, and our bodies are incredible. They're physiological miracles. And when a person's body begins to go into labor, their body releases a chemical in their brain called oxytocin. Ox, can we say oxytocin? Oxytocin. Um, and so this chemical, for those of you who are into kink or fetish play, uh, is also released when you uh, practice nipple stimulation. So um, it is a chemical that is released during labor, nipple stimulation, or breastfeeding. So um, you know, those kind of go hand in, in boob. So <laughs> that being said, the brain is starting to produce that. And the oxytocin uh, is uh, going to trigger the woman's body to begin contracting the uterus. The contractions only happen. Uh, again, I'm, I'm reiterating everything I was taught in my Lamaze class. I'm not a doctor. But the uh, oxytocin triggers your uterus to start contracting. When the uterus starts contracting, it sends another signal back to your brain saying, hey, I just contracted. 
send me more. And then the brain goes, okay, more oxytocin for you. Boom. And then you get a loop and you got contraction, oxytocin, contraction, oxytocin. And it creates this loop where your your body is beginning to contract. This also happens when we orgasm, at least theoretically. That's why we feel so amazing after we orgasm because we've just contracted the hell out of our uterus um, and our body is now releasing all this oxytocin and we feel high. Mm -hmm. Um, You'll also notice that's probably why uh, in some cases your uterus will keep going for about 15 to 20 minutes after because we're in that loop where the, the brain is continuing to pump out the oxytocin. It's also a way to get men to keep giving orgasms so um (laughs) that being said after this oxytocin loop starts the rest of your body's like all right let's do it your hips start getting all loosey-goosey and there's more chemicals that start coming out in domino sequence um and god don't ask me what they are because i can't pronounce them but what's amazing (laughs) about it is as this is happening it affects the person's um way of thinking the way their brain works. And so initially, like, you're in a good mood, you're laughing, you're smiling, you're having a good time, probably watching something on Netflix, not that horrible documentary called Broken, (laughs) but maybe like Robin Williams live on Broadway. That's what I want to watch when Mm -hmm. I'm in labor because it's Robin Williams. And you're laughing and you're in a decent mood and you're excited and you're energetic. And in that, that's called early labor. Early labor for a first-time laborer can take... 12 hours, 18 hours, and the contractions are happening every 30 minutes. And it's a minute long. So you've got 58 minutes of not contractions, and you're just waiting. And you're munching on snacks, and you're drinking water, and you're staying hydrated, and you're sleeping as much as you can. And at a certain point, the next set of chemicals goes off. And then that's when you go into something called active labor. And when you're in active labor, Two things happen. Your brain says, get up and move around a lot because it's really uncomfortable to have this giant watermelon thing trying to wiggle its way down through your body. So you have to get up and move around and make sure that they're not like stuck in a pelvis or something. And on the flip side, your brain is going, this isn't funny anymore. And the woman's sense of humor walks out the window like it's gone. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, these different chemicals cause... Um, the lizard brain to start entering the fight, flight, or flee, or the, what is it called? Fight, flight, or freeze mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, instinct. That chemical would not come into play until after your 12 to 18 hours of early labor. Like it has to be triggered by the previous experience. Um, so if you go to a hospital to have your baby and they are all up in your business and telling you when you're allowed to eat and when you're allowed to sleep and when you're allowed to get up and when you're allowed to move, they're impacting your body's ability to put out those chemicals. Mm -hmm. And when they pull that one piece out, the rest of them can't trigger. And so you're not able to get moving, which then causes more stuff to happen like dilation and effacement, which just means opening and softening. So all these things happen during birth in their correct time, in their correct sequence. And in a hospital, it's harder to make that happen in a peaceful, gentle, chill sort of way. Because you have nurses coming in, checking your this, checking your that, asking you questions. It can feel very invasive. Mm -hmm. If you're in a birth center experience or a home birth experience, I would say probably 80% of that is gone. And it's you and your birth partner, your midwife, maybe a doula or two or three or four, like I'm going to have, I'm probably going to have three, four, maybe five doulas. I don't know. Um, And it's a very different experience because you're no longer in a room with bright lights and beeping monitors and it's strange and it doesn't look like home and it doesn't feel safe and it smells like hospital cleaner and Mm -hmm. all these random people who change on their shifts every so many hours are coming in asking you questions wanting to touch you and test you and check you and being in an alternative experience completely eases that and you can literally like unclench and exhale and feel like i am really in control here and that's what 
the best birth experiences are is that you are in control from start to finish and hospitals don't allow that as much. Right. Because they have a procedure. Mm-hmm. They have they have their plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's yeah. it's it's very much a matter of timing for a hospital staff. Uh, again, women are managed in hospitals. There is a clock mm-hmm. that starts counting the moment you walk through the door. And if you have not accomplished what they want you to accomplish after twelve hours or eighteen or twenty-four, you are no longer on their timeline. That OBG might be missing their nine holes at the golf course or their their staff yeah. meeting or whatever they have planned and they will decide that now it's impacting you're you're not progressing air quotes and they'll they'll start to push very strongly for changes to happen in your plan mm-hmm. and it's very disconcerting and it it happens to a lot of women you say 18 holes. In fact, I made my mother's um, birth doctor late for his 18 holes, and he started pushing on her mm-hmm. to get me out. I was a day early. I, you know, I'm, on, I'm like, I'm already early. Leave me alone. As a matter of fact, I was just reading an article um, about a month ago that there is a practice in Europe of doctors and nurses pushing on laboring mothers' stomachs mm-hmm. to force the birth to go faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a procedure that was initiated in 1876, I want to say. So 150 something years ago. Wow. And it's still being practiced after the WHO, the World Health Organization, has said, stop doing that. And doctors are still doing it because they're, they're not being held accountable and women are not being told, yeah, we shouldn't have done that. That's actually against procedure. And they don't know to ask, and they're afraid to because, again, they're deferring to that person in that white lab coat. Right. Yeah. Scary. Very scary. Mm-hmm. I wonder so. if I have brain damage. <laughs> I'm not answering that question. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. So where would somebody go to find out what they have available in our area? I know we're very Phoenix-centric mm. here because we want to be a part of our Phoenix community, but we have listeners all over the world. I love that you have listeners all over the world. Thank you. I do too. It's yes. exciting. Sound guy T goes and looks at random places. He's like, I want to go vacation here, this obscure island off of Africa. Oh, so hi, people. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I would say the first place to go uh, is going to be, um, as far as, as searching, you're going to use the internet. And uh, definitely you want to use some search phrases like um, freestanding birth centers in my area birth classes in my area, um, birth support, pregnancy support might be sketchy. The reason I say that is because when you search for pregnancy support on Google, you could end up going down a rabbit hole of pro-life versus pro-choice conversations and websites. And that's not really what you're probably into. Yeah. Uh, I know I'm not. At um, that point, no. No, hell no. You've already made your decision about what's going on here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't need that. But birth... Um, choices or birth options or birth support in my area are good things to search for. And then, you know, your, your city, your municipality, county and state are going to have some kinds of programs. I cannot possibly tell you if they're any good. I can tell you that every state in America, and I believe Puerto Rico, has WIC. WIC stands for Women, Infant and Children. It is now a government program. It originally was not. It was started by the Black Panther movement. And it was made available so that women, infant, and children uh, across the country, especially those who were impoverished, especially women of color, were able to get uh, nutritional support in the form of baby formula, uh, things like peanut butter, milk, juice, um, and additional um, supplementary foods so that while they were pregnant and nursing, they would be able to keep their family healthy. If you are on food stamps, you already are able to be on WIC. Yes. It is supplementary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. And, and you don't have to be, <clears throat> but if you are, you already qualify. Yeah. And if you're concerned that you make too much money, go anyway. Because they will give you options. They and will give you options. Anyway. Yes. And you can make a lot more money and qualify for WIC than you would for food stamps for the SNAP program. The income um, expectations for WIC are much, much higher 
than they would be for the SNAP program. I know I've I've actually been on WIC twice uh, as an adult. No shame, no blame about it. Do it. If you can get support, especially if you uh, end up having a baby who has sensitivity to certain milk. Not that that happens a whole lot, but if you are having to return to work and do formula and send your kid to daycare, formula is hella expensive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is redonkulously expensive. And having to pay for a can or two a week, it, it'll run you 30 to 40 bucks every single week. Mm-hmm. And so WIC will provide you with X number of cans, like two, four, six, eight number of cans every like 30 days, which is hugely beneficial if you're trying to manage a baby and going back to work and everything else. So please try WIC, uh, try your uh, local SNAP program. And then like here in Arizona, we have the Department of Development. Oh God, what is it called? DDD or DES? Department of Developmental Disabilities. Thank you. Is DDD and Department of Economic Security. Department of Economic Security. Thank you. Yes, I have baby brain, so I can't think with full sentences. Mm -hmm. Um, DES, the Department of... um, <clears throat> Excuse me. Economic. Economic. Thank you. I was like, educational. <laughs> Department of Economic Security has a lot of um, programs available. Uh, fair warning. It takes forever and a half to get through the paperwork and the interviews and the processes to get qualified for everything they want from you. It is not an easy process. No. It takes 11 billion years, but not really. Um, but do it anyway. And then also look into any groups, like, for example, I know in the Bay Area, there's a lot of co-parenting groups and a lot of cooperative parenting groups where they will trade off childcare each day uh, for everyone. You know, one parent will watch all the kids on a Monday and then another one will watch all the kids on a Tuesday. Um, They have circles like that. They have cooperatives like that for doulas and for midwifery. As well, they have a cooperative housing groups as well that can support pregnant mothers specifically. So you have to do a little bit of legwork, but it could be extremely helpful in knowing what your options are and knowing that there's things available. Like I didn't even know I could go to a birth center when I got pregnant with Siggy, my my seven-year-old. But at my company, I was just like skimming through the insurance and then Rosh Hashanah comes and goes and I figure out I'm pregnant. I'm like, ah, oh, crap. So I should probably do something here. And I start looking through my insurance booklet and I catch the word birth center. And I'm like, what? What is this? And I start looking and it turns out the insurance covers the birth center 100% and hospitals 80%. Ooh. Wow. Whoa. Shocking, right? Yes. I know. And granted, it's there's always hoops to jump through like i had to get a letter and get the place certified because insurance you know Mm -hmm. and then there's additional fees for being at the birth center that aren't exactly part of the birth but they're like classes like lamas and you have to pay for that and this that and the other but like ask questions like go to your hr person and be like i'm not leaving here until you tell me absolutely everything i could possibly use and milk from this insurance (laughs) um it's really really good to do yes Uh, fair warning um if you know you have a strange allergy and you tell the doctor that this kid might have this x allergy it's generational or whatever uh don't just take their word for it that the food is hypoallergenic and safe there is not a single formula created in America that is soy-free, period. And they will do weird procedures because your baby is not eating. I know this because it happened to my niece to force them to eat something that can kill them. So you're absolutely right. And this is, again, people, we're not doctors, but no. this is this is not conjecture. This is, um, you know, anecdotal based on our experiences. I My apprentice... Uh, shout out Tisha. My apprentice um, had a baby uh, going on almost three years ago. Goddess help me. And, you know, and I got to doula for her, which was kind of life changing and amazing. And he was born with ridiculous food sensitivities, um, soy and dairy and this, that and the other. And she had to eliminate so much from her own diet to nurse him. Mm-hmm. And he was not gaining enough weight. Um, because of how much stuff she had eliminated and they started labeling the baby failure to thrive. And she kept saying and taking her mother who's had five children with her to these appointments, no one would listen. 
And they kept saying, well, we need to do tests and we need to do these procedures to see what's going on. And she kept saying, no, he has allergies. Test him for allergies. And they won't. And they wouldn't do it. Because they, they'll say that he can't have allergies that young. Yes. Exactly. Your baby can. Right. And so, again, most of that is driven by the medical um, industry and by their, the way that they like to do things. And a lot of it's also driven by um, the insurance, which in this case might have been access. Arizona Healthcare Services. So um, don't take no for an answer. Don't let them boss you around ever. You're the boss and you're the boss of your body and your birth and your baby. Um, that was a lot of bees. <laughs> <laughs> and you got them all clear and out. I totally yeah. did. Yay. So, but um, beyond that, I would definitely say alternative birth practices are amazing and life-changing and you should totally consider them. And it can be something as simple as like, I want to have massage oil with my partner massaging my hands while I'm in labor, or I want my partner to, you know, I want to bounce on a bouncy ball when I'm having a contraction while somebody's rubbing my lower back so that it doesn't hurt so much versus, you know, something as drastic as, well, it's not really drastic, but whatever, like birthing in a tub. Mm-hmm. For some people, the idea of giving birth in water is like shocking. It's like life changing. It's <laughs> super duper not, um, you know, or, or some women want to stand up when they push uh, for for labor some women want to be uh, on hands and knees uh, um, some of them want to be in the shower you know all of these are managed you know by you as the birthing person and also by your care provider and what they are allowed to do within the parameters of insurance and and state regulation whatever but like a lot of these are totally fine a lot of them are actually completely acceptable except if you're in a hospital that's when they start putting those restrictions in. Mm-hmm. Um, with my first kid, I was allowed to be in the tub until my water broke. And then they told me I couldn't be in the tub anymore because there's a potential risk for infection. Even if it's like 0.01%, yeah. they decide that that means I can't be in the tub. I certainly can't push in the tub. Some hospitals, um, for example, I want to say Kaiser and possibly Banner, don't quote me. They want you to be in the physical bed when you're pushing. You can walk around when you're in labor, but the minute that you start to push, you have to be in the bed. It's probably for liability reasons. Yeah. So that mm-hmm. if you fall, mm-hmm. they can be like, well, she wasn't in the bed. Like, whatever. But Or if baby falls. Or if baby falls, you know. But a lot of that, a lot of these alternatives, they're just like common sense stuff. And there's nothing wrong with asking and writing out your birth plan in detail. It's a big one. That's part of that whole manifestation thing is manifesting your birth because you visualize it over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And you have the right to tell people they can't be in the room. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think that's the hard one for a lot of people is like, well, I want my mom to be happy, but at the same time, she drives me up the wall. I find that, again, that that comes down to a hell yes, hell no conversation. Mm -hmm. It comes down to a consent conversation. And if you have a birth plan and if you have a birth partner, um, I'll use Jared as an example. I'm going to guess that if you had to be a birth support partner, you would be a big bad voice. And you would know what your birthing person wants before y'all get there. And if someone tried to cross that line, you'd be like, no, go away. Like, you know, because it's your job to, you know, defend the perimeter and to create the boundary so that they can do their thing. Right. That's the ideal. Not all birthing people have a supportive, loving birth partner, um, which blows. But that's what doulas are for. Mm-hmm. That's literally their job. Or as my friend Jackie likes to say, hey, Jackie, literally their job. So, <laughs> you know, having a loving, supportive birth person there to say, she's busy right now, like being a gateway. Mm-hmm. So l- look at me. Look at me. Eyes up here. I'm talking to you. Okay. She needs you not to be here. So can you go grab me like a thing? Okay, bye. And that's yeah. the job of the of the the birthing support partner because if there's any piece of advice I could give you if you're if you're pregnant and you're you're planning on on having a human come through you, it's that you will never ever ever have a more in your body moment than giving birth. Everything disappears, 
everything melts away. It's it's akin to that orgasmic moment when you're having sex and everything melts away and you can't think about anything and you're just in your body, except it's not pleasurable um the <laughs> way an orgasm <laughs> i'm not gonna say it's horrible because you know it's not it it you know it wasn't for me the second time um but you're in your body um and for people who have not birthed it is the equivalent of like the last quarter mile of a race that you're running or you know you're weightlifting and you're you're doing that very final rep and you're just like concentrating so hard on your body and every muscle and you can't hear the music playing and you can't see anybody and you're just focused on your body it's that same experience as birth except it could be you know 25 hours of that mm. so <laughs> so when that happens uh one of the midwives at baby moon she likes to say that you leave planet earth and go to planet birth and so when you're in planet birth you're concentrating on every little twitch of every muscle and everything that's happening. And you need somebody else to be that voice for you and to be that advocate for you. Especially if you end up being transferred to a hospital. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that kind of wraps up what we can talk about for today. If you want to know any more information, go ahead and look at those resources. Uh, reach out to Jennifer Hope Rich. Her information was on the last episode. She would be happy to communicate with you about those things as well. Uh, look into your government programs. You never know. Uh, maybe even Planned Parenthood has information that can give you um, a better idea of what is available in your area. We are not those people that can give <laughs> yeah. you information in your area um, in general period um heck i can't even tell you what's going on in the pagan world in Atlanta right now so there we go um so with all that being said we want to thank nama again for coming on and and sharing so private information with our listeners and um (laughs) (laughs) we also want to thank Aaron and josie for becoming patreon supporters you guys rock you will get your gifts very soon Jarrah, where can they find you? Uh, of course, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Jarrah Stone, and of course, also on my Instagram, Haggard Haggard Cosplay. Uh, actually, getting a lot of uh, support recently on there. I just want to say thank you to everybody who's been uh, who's been jumping on both of those, uh, both of those, and just reaching out. Awesome. I love your Insta. I just have to tell you, I really can't stand Instagram, but I really love Jarrah's. I just think it's like super adorable with like. <laughs> All those cute little face shots and all those selfies. Like, boys need selfies, too. Oh, yeah. Yes, boys need selfies. I'm, I'm a big supporter of that. Well, clearly, because I've seen your Insta. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and if you want to learn more about and you haven't listened or watched or read anything about the Jewitch, where <laughs> can we find you? <laughs> uh, you can find me on the interwebs. I am on Facebook. I am on Twitter. I am on Insta. Uh, I am not uh, easily accessible, though. So if you want to add me as a friend, um, you will have to be a friend of a friend through like Autumn or Jera in order for me to add you. And even then, I'm a picky bitch and I don't always say yes. So uh, FYI, it really would benefit you to send me an IM or a DM or some other M uh, to to contact me before I try to add you as a friend because I'm very picky. And you have a blog, too. So they I don't do. even have to be your friend. They it's could just true. read about you. You can totally read about me. Um, thoughtsincarnate.wordpress.com. That's thoughtsincarnate, one word, .wordpress.com. My actual website is down at the moment, mostly because I don't have the energy to deal with it. But thoughtsincarnate.wordpress.com is currently my best access to my blog and a lot of my work that I've written. Uh, and I just want to thank... Autumn and Jera and Millennial Pagan Podcast for bringing me on and um, encourage everybody here if you do make that journey towards birth and that's something that matters to you. Um, you're welcome to IM me. You are welcome to reach out and ask questions. Nothing is off limits. I will answer anything. Uh, I will warn you that I will answer anything and it, <laughs> I will be very detailed and very graphic. So be careful what you ask. Um, but thank you so much for having me on. I'm very grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Placenta question mark. Anyway, you can Placenta. You can find me at <laughs> Iron Wolf Circle on WordPress. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook and Twitter as Autumn Iron or Autumn Wolf. 
And you can find the podcast, Millennial Pagan Podcast, on Facebook, Instagram as Pagan Pod, and Twitter as Pagan Pod. And you can also email us at millennialpaganpod at gmail.com. Yay. Yay. <laughs> question mark. Oh, there's no question, babe. I'm, I'm encapsulating mine. I'm excited. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Do you? No, I, I'm picturing it in like a ca- like a glass capsule or <laughs> no, it's possibly not a, a shadow it's not a ship box in a bottle. Okay, it doesn't work like that. I mean, like I'm gonna take my my placenta uh-huh. and take it to someone who does this professionally. They dehydrate it uh-huh. completely, and then it gets ground and put into gel capsules. Uh-huh. And um, it's taken. I, I want to say like two a day for the first seven days after birth, and it completely eliminates postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. it's magic like human beings used to eat their placenta for a reason and it's fabulous it helps uh replace all the hormones because you've gone from um being pregnant one day to being not pregnant the next day mm-hmm. and that's a huge hormonal crash it's like someone who's going through transition and you take their hormones away one day you can't yep. do that it'll it'll make you lose your mind mm-hmm. i almost threw my kid against the wall the first time i had a kid because of postpartum depression it's real so encapsulating your placenta and slowly tapering that down over a week no depression no crying no hallucinations no nothing uh generally speaking and you can keep it in the freezer because it's freeze-dried uh all the way through menopause and it becomes hormone replacement therapy. It's your body. It's your chemicals. It's your hormones. It belongs to you. The medical industry does not have the right to take it from you. And if they do, they're going to sell it for stem cell research and not pay you a penny. Mm. So, placenta. A little bit of extra knowledge there. I love it. A little after, like, P.S. P.S. Placenta. <laughs> I just found this episode's title. <laughs> 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 don't give birth oh i'm so glad i went pee before this oh, okay <laughs> i'm like you're close enough girl laughing is not gonna make this baby pop out calm down Aww. <laughs> do you need me to live stream it for you no like, thank okay. you <laughs> no thank you i don't want to be there i'm not interested Al- although <laughs> the views alone <laughs> we're not sharing views, that the youtube views or the views <laughs> Because that's, anyway, I'm done. <laughs> All right, I'm well, done, folks. Good night, Gracie. Merry meet. Merry part. And merry meet again. Placenta. <laughs> P.S. Placenta. Oh, my God, I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs>